0: Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. Hello again. We're at the pinnacle, in my opinion, of the book of Acts. It's the church in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. And I'm going to just read a few verses before and then part of Acts chapter 19. So we get a picture of what it was like in this church and the city called Ephesus. As I said in a previous week, you may not have even realized the importance of the city of Ephesus, but it was Paul's last church that he planted. And so all the experience that he'd gained was put into this church, and he'd learned so many lessons. We saw that in Acts 16, verse 6, he had initially wanted to go to Asia and Ephesus, but the Holy Spirit said no, and he went through various experiences, different cities met different people, learned different lessons, and eventually now he's ready to go into Ephesus. And he's got a team with him. He's got a strategy. He is walking in step with the Holy Spirit. Now, you might say, why is this relevant to me? Because we at Leading Lights are trying to help you, average Christian, to do God's work. And that might mean starting a little Bible study, a prayer meeting, maybe just meet with one person and disciple them, maybe start a church, maybe start some new outreach ministry, whatever it is. And these lessons are so helpful. You might say, no, 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 that's not me. I can't. And I want to tell you that you can. So in Acts 18, and verse 18, it says, so Paul remained a good while. That's talking about Corinth. We know he was there for a year and a half. And then it says, then he took leave of the brethren, sailed for Syria and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Cantria for he had taken a vow and he came to Ephesus and left them there. So Paul goes to Ephesus from Corinth. He takes Priscilla and Aquila. Do you remember this couple who he had worked with? He'd got a job with them making tents and now they have bought into this whole idea of the Great Commission involves all Christians, professional business people as well as everybody else and we're going to be part of this church plant. They are the unsung heroes of the church in Ephesus. So Paul leaves them there. He then goes traveling and he comes back maybe a year later And in verse 24, it says, now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. So I want you to just get an idea of this man called Apollos. Some people believe that he wrote the book of Hebrews. He was a mighty apostle. In 1 Corinthians 2, 3, 4, Paul talks about Apollos and how they they work together. And he really respects Apollos. But this is the start of Apollos's Really powerful ministry. It says, he came to Ephesus. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. He was fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord. Other versions say the things of Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. I want you to see that he was bold. He was eloquent. He was fervent in spirit. But he taught about Jesus accurately. He knew about Jesus. He knew about Christ's death on the cross for us. He knew everything that was needed to be saved, but he just didn't understand baptism. And so Priscilla and Aquila explained it to him. But now in the next verses, we see a little group of his disciples and we understand why his faulty ideas about baptism were so important. It says in verse one of Acts 19, it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus Finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Why did he ask them that? I think because he had spoken to Priscilla and Aquila. They had helped Apollos understand the the Holy Spirit better. And so Paul wanted to check other believers in the city. And he found this little group. There were only 12 of them. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, we've not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. He said to them, into what then were you baptized? He's interrogating to find out the foundations of their salvation. They said into John's baptism. In other words, they're the same as Apollos. They understood about Jesus. They just didn't understand the full meaning of Christian baptism, which includes the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Paul said, John and baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying people should believe in Christ. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They spoke with tongues and prophesied. The men were about twelve in all. So this is the start of the church in Ephesus. It starts small. A business couple go, they start trying to lead others to Christ. They're building a business and building up some financial money. And they are witnessing to other Christians, Apollos in particular, and helping him. And then Paul arrives. He meets with the little group. And then it says in verse 8, Paul went into the synagogue, spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. Now, in Acts 20, the next chapter, Paul summarizes, he gathers the elders together and he summarizes his three years in Ephesus and he tells them all the things he did and how he did it. And he lists what he taught while he was with them. And he speaks of the kingdom of God, the grace of God, repentance and faith and the counsel of God. And here it says he spoke about the kingdom of God. And it's interesting for us to to think about what did Paul teach in his three years in Ephesus that caused this explosive growth of the church? And such a a long-ranging effect of this church in Ephesus. So he spoke about the King of God when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude. He departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. So he'd learned this lesson in Corinth, the city before, where he had withdrawn and he'd gone to Justice's house. And it became a gathering place for the Christians. Previously, it was always house churches only, but now Paul starts to realize if I can gather, especially the leaders, but anyone who wants to come and I can teach daily, then they could go and lead their small house churches. And we've got a very powerful model for church to grow. And so Paul is exercising a teaching gift and an evangelism gift and an apostle's gift of laying foundations. But then he's empowering all these people to go back and have their house churches. You say, Greg, how do you know there were house churches? Number one, because there were so many Christians in Ephesus, they couldn't all fit in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. But number two, because we see him mention churches that meet in Priscilla and Aquila's home and various other places. So we know there were lots of small groups, but then Paul had a large meeting. And verse 10 says, this continued for two years. What continued for two years? Paul doing his Bible school in, in Tyrannus' lecture hall and the church growing around it. It says this continued for two years. And the next phrase is just so amazing. I want you to just think about it for a second. It says, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. That is astounding. How on earth are we going to get every single person in the province of Asia, not just the city of Ephesus, but all the surrounding cities, all the towns, villages, highways, byways, everybody in a huge province heard the word of the Lord in two years and Paul never left Ephesus. He was teaching every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. How does that work? The only way it works is if Paul is empowering and encouraging and releasing them and saying go and do this go and tell I've come to you in Ephesus with this message do you remember how Jesus said as the father sent me I'm sending you Paul did the same he said as God has sent me you go as well and he empowered these new believers to go out and spread the word and the word of God spread to the whole province And then we see the miracles that happen. Verse 11, I mentioned this last time, how Paul was working as a tent maker and the handkerchiefs that he tied around his forehead and the aprons that he wore were the tools of his trade. But God anointed his secular work so that people got healed through his secular work. In verse 11, it says, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. So there was amazing Holy Spirit power. But it says the evil spirits went out of them. And we're going to see that deliverance and fighting with evil spiritual forces was a big part of what happened in Ephesus. Verse 13, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches, Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leapt on them, overpowered them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known to both all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of God grew mightily and prevailed. What's happening here? Paul is exercising the power of the Spirit, but he is empowering others to do it as well, and so much so that even non-Christians are starting to try to use the techniques that Paul is teaching others to cast demons out, and it's not working because they're not Christians. But what I want you to focus on here is the fact that the people repented of their magic arts and brought their books, their magic books that they had used to do their spells and their spirit worship, and they burnt them, and the value of this pyre, this this fire of books being burnt, was 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, experts who know about history and economics have said the value of those books was so high. 50,000 pieces of silver is so high that even if they were wealthy people, there must have been at least 50,000 people who brought their books and burnt them for it to be such a valuable Um, pile of books. And that means the number of Christians in Ephesus was at least 50,000 Christians in a town of only about two or 300,000 people. That was an extraordinary impact. And this town of Ephesus went on to become a beacon. You know the book of Revelation where the apostle John writes to the seven churches in Asia. Ephesus is the, the main one of those churches, and then there are six others around it. He writes to Ephesus, and even in Revelation, at the end of the Bible, Ephesus is still a shining light. Paul wrote the book of Ephesians to this city later on in his ministry, and it is the most beautiful book where it talks about the church, the church, the church, the church. It's just the most astounding book of the Bible, the book of Ephesians. So beautiful. And Paul wrote Timothy, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, to his protege Timothy in Ephesus, because he had sent Timothy there to be the pastor and the leader. John then later was the leader of the Ephesus church, and he wrote the gospel of John that we have in our Bible. And 1 John, Second John, and 3 John, all from Ephesus. This church was amazing. It affected the whole province and tradition has it that Jesus's mother Mary lived in Ephesus till the end of her life as well. So this little city, the, the final church plant in Paul's ministry in the book of Acts, had such a big impact on the world. We see the the numbers of Christians. We see the, the, the way that there must have been house churches just blossoming all over the city in a short period of time. We see the whole province of Asia being reached with the word of the Lord. We see signs and wonders. And I ask myself, why did it work so well? And last week, we spoke about the fact that Paul decided he was going to work as a tent maker to encourage this idea that there's not clergy and laity. We are all ministers. He also encouraged generosity. So people were willing to give of their time and their their possessions as well. But then also, there's this idea of Paul teaching in a larger setting in the lecture hall of Tyrannus, but then empowering and encouraging people to go and do it the same. I am so excited by this idea and this model, and we have tried to do it in our church. I've been involved in several church plants, and we've tried different models, and we have tried in this church where I am right now, to have Sunday meetings as our lecture hall of Tyrannus, where we gather, where it's mainly teaching and worship and evangelism. And there there is a feeling in the big meeting that is different to what you get in a small meeting. You know, in a small house group meeting, you can obey many of the commands that the New Testament gives us as Christians. It says, love one another honor one another, encourage one another, use your gifts. When you come together, 1 Corinthians 14 says, each of you has a word, a psalm, an instruction. All of these must be given. And you can only do that in a small meeting. And you can only really pastor people and, and care for them and shepherd them and disciple them well in small groups. But in the large groups, you can have a different type of teaching and a different level of ministry. And when the two go together, as Paul found in Corinth, but especially in Ephesus, there is an explosion. And then lastly, just the the Holy Spirit's involvement. You know, the first thing Paul does when he gets there is he goes and he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? We've got to realize without the power of the Holy Spirit, Our church meetings, our church activities, our strategies are just human effort. But when the Holy Spirit breathes, and he can breathe in ways that are unusual. I mean, people took aprons and handkerchiefs from Paul and they healed people. People were trying to cast out demons. And sometimes if they weren't believers, it was causing mayhem. We're going to see later there were riots in Ephesus. And Paul later says that he was thrown to the wild beasts and he feared for his very life in Ephesus. There there can be a messy outcome when we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, because it's almost like we're we're not in charge anymore. We're not really deciding what's going to happen. We can decide to pray. We can decide to have orderly meetings. But once I start saying to people, you can do miracles, you can... You can do all this stuff. You can go out and spread the gospel. It's hard to control it anymore, but that's the way the gospel spread. And there will be mistakes. There'll be people like the seven sons of Sceva who mess it up. There'll be Christians who go off and say they're preaching the gospel, but they preach it wrong or they they do it wrong. And Paul and Jesus both said, as long as they are not against us, they're for us. As long as they're preaching the gospel, even if their motives aren't quite right, I rejoice because the gospel is spreading. And God is bigger than us having to control every little aspect. Obviously, we must be sensible. And if we see error or if we can help people to get it right, we must. But I believe that we need to let the power of the gospel go to the whole church, the whole gospel, by the whole church to the whole world is the way that we're going to achieve what they achieved. Yeah. And now I just want to read you in Acts chapter 20, Paul's speech to the elders. So Paul then leaves Ephesus and he comes back a few months later. And in Acts 20 and verse 17, it says from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, He said to them, you know, from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. You see those two there publicly in the lecture hall and from house to house. And he gave them everything that he could, testifying to the Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. This was his basic message. He says, repent and believe, repent and believe, repentance and faith. That's the way we receive the grace of God. And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains And tribulations await me, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And he mentions the grace of God twice in this passage grace as opposed to law and rules and regulations, the kind gift of God. So, repentance and faith and grace, those are the basics of his gospel. Verse 25, and indeed now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. The kingdom of God was the fourth aspect of this message that he preached for three years, especially in the lecture hall of Tyrannus, the kingdom of God. And I've spoken about this in other messages, but it's basically saying there's a kingdom of Satan, there's a kingdom of God. And Jesus said, I have come to bring in the kingdom of God. Jesus said, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus said that from the days of John the Baptist till now, the kingdom of God has been advancing forcefully and violent men take hold of it. There's this battle going on. The kingdom is a fight. And then at the end of his life, Jesus said, I've won. All authority has been given to me. Now you go and make disciples of all nations. You extend the kingdom just as I did you now go and you extend this rulership of christ and of god over people's lives but not by the sword not by politics but by preaching love and showing people the grace of god and as they come under christ's kingship the devil is cast out of their lives and it involves us healing people helping people and doing all the ministry that jesus did so he says um, you will see my face no more. Verse 26. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And this is the last part of his message. And many people have read that verse and thought that means he preached to them the whole Bible, the whole counsel of God. But actually that word counsel is the word "boule," which is different to the word thelema. Again, I've got another message on this, but God has two words in the New Testament for his will. One is thelema. That's what he desires, his heart, what he wants. But it involves humans cooperating often for it to happen. But then the second word is boule, the counsel or the purpose of God or the will of God that is determined and will not change. And Paul says, I preach to you that boule, that counsel of God, because when you know what that is, you can line your will up with his Thelema, his desires, and his predetermined will. And then we're moving forward together. Have a look at that sermon on our website, leadinglightsnetwork.com. I've not shunned to declare to you the purpose, the counsel, the boule of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves. Now, remember, he's speaking to the elders. There's a group of men. I don't know how many in Ephesus. He says, take heed of yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I just want to spend a minute talking about this verse. He says, Elders are pastors. He says, Shepherd. That's the word pomain, which means pastor. He says, Elders are shepherds, shepherd the flock, of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers or bishops, uh, episcopos. So the same word, elder, pastor, and bishop, is for the same person. It's a group of elders looking after a church. They're not different levels of position. Overseer, bishop, pastor, elder is one position. And he says, take heed of yourselves and the flock. In other words, look after your own spiritual life. First, make sure you're strong, your family is well, you're full of God, you love God, and then look after the flock which God has given you. Verse 29, for I know this that after my departure savage wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock also from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves therefore watch and remember that for three years i did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears so now brethren i commend you to god and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified I've coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. I've shown you in every way by laboring like this, that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke that they would not that they would see his face no more and they accompanied him to the ship Friend why am I sharing this with you because God wants his church today to be like this church and God wants you to be involved it's not just for the clergy or someone else all of us have a part to play you may be a Priscilla or Aquila you may be a Timothy or a Silas you may be one of the thousands of unnamed people in this chapter or this passage and I want to say to you we all have a part to play let's pray Lord Jesus I pray that you would empower and use me that you would use us Lord, that we would all put our shoulders to the plow and that we would work for your kingdom together. And I pray, Lord, that you would link us with people so that together we can achieve your great commission. And Lord, I pray for the power and the miracles and the signs and wonders that we see in the book of Acts to be part of our lives. Lord, give us the boldness to pray for healing, to go and spread your word, to show your love, even when we are embarrassed or fearful. Help us, Lord, to spread your kingdom, in Jesus' name, amen. Look us up, leadinglightsnetwork.com. Get involved in this exciting mission of taking God's word and his love to the ends of the earth, including your community and your neighborhood. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.